Hi, this is Ben Lowell, and this is Back to the Bible Canada with Dr. John Newfeld. Today, we conclude Dr. Newfeld's series on the book of Daniel with a message entitled, Our God Saves. So let's turn in our Bibles to Daniel chapter 6, verses 10 to 28, as we begin. Corey Ten Boom was born on April 15, 1892, in Harlem in the Netherlands. Because she was raised in a devout Christian home and because she was raised with a deep respect for the Jewish people, calling them God's ancient people, history was thrust onto her and onto her family. When the Nazis invaded her native Holland and Jews were being rounded up for the concentration camps, the Ten Boom family built a false wall and a small room inside Corey's bedroom. They even installed a ventilation system to provide air and a buzzer in the house that would signal danger. There they did what they knew they had to do. They hid Jews until they could be relocated in a safe setting. And they also became active in the Dutch resistance. By all accounts, the Ten Booms saved nearly 800 lives. Eventually, the entire Ten Boom family was discovered, including Corey's 84-year-old father. He soon died after being put into prison. Corey, with her sister Betsy, were put into the Ravensbrück concentration camp in 1944. She alone survived. After the war, she set up a rehabilitation center for concentration camp survivors. Hers is a story of seeing God's grace in all things, even to the point of forgiving those who had inflicted such horrors. She was truly a remarkable woman and a role model for both men and women in how to live for Christ in Babylon. I mention her because she and her family deliberately disobeyed civil authorities. I mention her because she felt that in order to be a Christian in the day in which she lived, to obey the law in her time was tantamount to denying Christ. Christians know that Romans 13 instructs us to obey governing authorities. But Christians also know that this obedience is not absolute. Acts 5.39 records the apostles as saying, We must obey God rather than men. Whenever the authorities demand of us that which we cannot obey, the answer is no. We must obey God rather than man. But when we do that, when we step out of the safety of law and order, when we stand with Christ against the governing authorities, what happens to us then? Will our God work on our behalf? Some of us are not so convinced, and today, I'll attempt to convince you of just that. Daniel chapter 6 is the account of Daniel in the lion's den. Yesterday, we noticed that when Daniel's enemies instituted a law forbidding anyone from making prayers to anyone but the king for a full month, Daniel was in a place where he was about to step outside of the protection of the law. He would be left standing alone. Daniel 6 verse 10 says, When Daniel knew that the document had been signed, he went to his house where he had windows in his upper chamber open toward Jerusalem. He got down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks to his God as he had done previously. For Daniel, it was unthinkable that he would allow 30 days to pass without expressing his devotion to God. Now, it is at this moment that we notice that the laws of the Medo-Persian Empire were different than the system of laws that Daniel had known while under the Babylonian government. In Babylon, the king could override any law, but apparently this was not true in the Medo-Persian Empire. Once a law had been enacted, it could not be changed. The king himself was subject to the law. 
So even though King Darius, who sided with Daniel, realized that he had been tricked by Daniel's enemies, he could not change Daniel's status. He himself had written the law, and now, regardless of how this law worked its way out, it was still the law. See, Christians have long known that laws can be used to persecute God's people. In the former Soviet Union, it was once illegal for pastors to win youth to faith in Christ. Kathy and I once had a man in our home who had spent six years in prison for preaching the gospel to teenagers. He broke the law and he had to pay. Those days may come here too. Laws may be drafted that do not make it illegal to be a Christian, but laws may be drafted that Christians cannot abide by. One writer has said that the devil can flourish effectively, as effectively under the guise of law and order as he does under the guise of permissiveness. We need to remember that Jesus was crucified under the urging of the Pharisees, the greatest law and order advocates in the history of the human race, I would say. If it came to that, all would have to make a decision. See, now to verses 11 to 16. When these men came by agreement and found Daniel making petition and plea before his God, then they came near and said before the king concerning the injunction, O king, did you not sign an injunction that anyone who makes a petition to any god or man within 30 days except you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions? The king answered and said, The thing stands fast according to the law of the Medes and Persians, which cannot be revoked. Then they answered and said before the king, Daniel, who is one of the exiles from Judah, pays no attention to you, O king, or to the injunction you have signed, but makes his petition three times a day. Then the king, when he had heard these words, was much distressed and set his mind to deliver Daniel. And he labored till the sun went down to rescue him. Then these men came by agreement to the king and said to the king, Know, O king, that it is the law of the Medes and the Persians that no injunction or ordinance that the king establishes can be changed. Then the king commanded, and Daniel was brought and cast into the den of lions. The king declared to Daniel, May your God whom you serve continually deliver you. We notice in this two aspects. First, we notice that the men who wanted Daniel dead made an agreement between each other. The text said they came by agreement and found Daniel praying. You know, I take that to mean that they had arrangement not only to watch him, but to make sure that enough of them saw it and they could bring a witness before the king. Now, of course, we know that Daniel would not have denied it. So much of this effort was not required, but men who are men of intrigue can't imagine a man who has morality. The second thing we notice is that as malicious as these men are, King Darius, on the other hand, holds no malice for Daniel. No doubt the king had experience with counselors and knew what intrigue was and found in Daniel a man without guile. Indeed, the king appears not to have been upset at all when he realizes that Daniel had been praying. You know, as we're going to see later on, the king observes instantly that there is intrigue, and he knows that he's been tricked into signing into law the decree that he's made. This was not about honoring him. This decree was made so that these men could murder Daniel. Now we continue to read in verses 17 and 18. And a stone was brought and laid on the mouth of the den, and the king sealed it with his own signet and with the signet of his lords, that nothing might be changed concerning Daniel. Then the king went into his palace and spent the night fasting. No diversions were brought to him, and sleep fled from him. You know, after all attempts to rescue Daniel had failed, the king gave the order and Daniel was thrown into the lion's den. He was hoping that Daniel's God could rescue him. 
You know, perhaps the accounts of Daniel's God had made their, their way to his court. At any rate, the king's deeply troubled. If there was a man who deserved not to die, it was this man of principle. He must have known that there were few in his kingdom that he could trust, but clearly he was a man who operated out of principle. See, I don't know about you, but I've observed how few people function on principle. I've known men who have argued for a principle all their lives, and then when their situation changed, the very principle that they've argued for affects them negatively, and they immediately change their principles. Psalm 15 verse 4 speaks of men who swear to their own hurt and do not change. Now, that's not to say that men and women of principle are not to be found. They are, but when you find them, you found a rare jewel. And more so, men and women who do not have principle never recognize it when they see it. Titus 1.15 says, To the pure, all things are pure. But to the defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure. But both their minds and their consciences are defiled. In short, people by nature assume that others think and reason like themselves. Those without principles dismiss it in others, for they can't imagine someone who holds fast to principles even when by holding them they might lose their job or lose money or or lose a position of influence or in this case lose even their own lives. And And it would seem that this is what Darius saw in Daniel. And yet he also saw that as a monarch, He was sworn to uphold the laws of his land, and and therefore he was in a bind. And in the end, his only hope was that perhaps, just perhaps, the God of this principled man named Daniel would deliver his servant from the mouth of lions. Indeed, Christians of principle and character should do exactly the same thing as Daniel. We will stand for that which is holy and pure. We will render devotion to God alone, and we will submit to his will above all, and therefore our only hope is in God. For we cannot count on any other human device. As Paul says in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 12, all who live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, while evil people and imposters will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. Daniel has been thrown into the lion's den. And now, right after this break, we'll hear the conclusion to Dr. Newfeld's series, Singing the Lord's Song in a Strange Land. And please don't forget, you can be looking forward to our next issue of Truth in Life magazine this month. The theme is built around living life in today's turbulent culture, and both Dr. Newfeld's recent series on Corinthians and today's concluding series based on Daniel also speak so clearly into how we as God's people need to live as God's people, regardless of the pressures of the swirling culture around us. So for more great insight on how we do this, ask for your free subscription to Truth and Life magazine today by simply calling us at 1-800-663-2425 or signing up online at backtothebible.ca. Now let's go back to the Bible with Dr. John Newfeld. When we left off, we saw that Daniel had been thrown into the lion's den. We know from historians that the Persians employed many forms of execution, and all of them were intended to incite terror. But it was the Assyrians before them, and then the Persians copied them by capturing lions and put them in cages, and so lions were available for this purpose. The idea of being eaten by an animal strikes us as particularly frightening. Lions often kill by suffocation, and they'll they'll bite down on a victim's throat so that they can't breathe. 
On occasion, they'll clamp their jaws around a prey's mouth and nose and suffocate by what has sometimes been called the kiss of death. If more lions are about, another lion will hold the victim down, not allowing it to move, while the killing lion will bite down on the throat or the face. And the reasons the Persians chose this method of death is that anyone hearing of it would know exactly what was involved. Because lions were prevalent in those areas at that time, almost everyone knew how lions killed. One could imagine such a death, and one could also imagine the complete fear of the victim. You know, King Darius would have been able to imagine it as well. He knew he had been manipulated into doing this, and he wondered if all the stories of Daniel's God were true. I'm now reading Daniel 6, 19-23. Then at break of day, the king arose and went in haste to the den of lions. As he came near to the den where Daniel was, he cried out in a tone of anguish. The king declared to Daniel, O Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God whom you serve continually been able to deliver you from the lions? Then Daniel said to the king, O king, live forever. My God has sent his angel and shut the lions' mouths, and they have not harmed me, because I was found blameless before him, and also before you, O king, I have done no harm. Then the king was exceedingly glad and commanded that Daniel be taken out of the den. So Daniel was taken out of the den, and no kind of harm was found in him because he had trusted in his God. Some Bible teachers point to an ancient Babylonian custom that a victim could be pardoned if he had been tortured and not died the following day. This probably explains why the law that had been signed that meant that Daniel was to be killed was not carried out. God had delivered Daniel, and the custom of the day indicated that in such a case he were to go free. But we notice several features in the account. In rushing to the den in the morning, Darius calls out, Daniel, servant of the living God. And in this I see a pattern. Nebuchadnezzar had called Daniel's God the Most High God. And now a later king from an empire that has defeated Babylon calls Daniel's God the living God. Perhaps here we have a hint that Darius understands the differences between the images of stone and the concepts in the mind that would have made up the Medo-Persian gods. Like his predecessor, he understands the difference between the God before whom Daniel bows and every other form of deity. You know, I have a memory of a, a woman of another religion whose son was dying, and she had gone repeatedly to her house of worship to appeal on behalf of her young son who did not have long to live. And then one day in desperation, she showed up in in church and, and headed for the prayer room and knelt before the altar and for the first time in her life, appealed to Jesus on behalf of her son. And that day when she went home, she found her son had been completely healed. You know, one year later, that's how long it took, but one year later, she had the courage to come and visit me and told me that it was Jesus and none other that had healed her son. You know, what a joy it was for me that day to lead her to repentance and faith in Christ, the living God. That means that our God is not a theological system or merely a matter of personal belief. It means that we have a God who intervenes in the affairs of men. It means that it is possible for God to send his angels to shut the lion's mouth. And it is this that Darius came to believe, that this Daniel had a living God. Let's keep on reading verse 24. And the king commanded, and those men who had maliciously accused Daniel were brought and cast into the den of lions, they, their children, and their wives. And before they reached the bottom of the den, the lions overpowered them and broke all their bones in pieces. 
You know, the fact that their families were executed strikes us as unjust. Well, it is. According to Deuteronomy 24, verse 16, fathers shall not be put to death because of their children, nor shall children be put to death because of their fathers. Each one shall be put to death for his own sin. But remember, that's a biblical command, and this, after all, is still a pagan land. And in this land, it was the custom to wipe out the entire family. But of course, that's not the end of the story. I'm reading verses 25 to 26. Then King Darius wrote to all the peoples, nations, and languages that dwell in all the earth, Peace be multiplied to you. I make a decree that in all my royal dominion, people are to tremble and fear before the God of Daniel, for he is the living God, enduring forever. His kingdom shall never be destroyed, and his dominion shall be to the end. You know, Darius at this juncture sounds so very much like King Nebuchadnezzar before him. He recognizes Daniel's God as supreme and recognizes God's kingdom that shall never be destroyed. And just like in days gone by, Daniel is again promoted, and the kingdom comes to recognize that the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob is supreme. Now to the last two verses, verses 27 and 28. He delivers and rescues. He works signs and wonders in heaven and on earth. He who has saved Daniel from the power of the lions. So this Daniel prospered during the reign of Darius and the reign of Cyrus the Persian. We're left in the end to wonder at the ways of God. Were it not for the crisis precipitated by Daniel's enemies and the horror of the lion's den, King Darius would never have told the Medo-Persian Empire that the God of Israel is the living God and that he saves in a way that no other god can. You know, in the future, Cyrus of Persia would give an order that any Jew wanting to go back to Jerusalem and rebuild it was free to go. And with that, Zerubbabel and Joshua would go and rebuild the temple, and Ezra would go and teach the people to be faithful to the law of God. And in the future, Nehemiah would receive permission from King Artaxerxes to go and build the walls of Jerusalem and make it safe. And because of the Jews reclaiming their homeland, the door would be open for the Messiah to enter that temple and offer his life as a ransom for many. You see, Daniel's fame and the miracles of his God opened a doorway of favor with the kings of Medo-Persia, favor that lasted for generations. And that's the part of the account that we must not miss. The point is not that every Christian gets rescued from the lion's mouth. I began this address by speaking about Corey Ten Boom and her, and her sister Betsy, who were sent to the concentration camp at Ravensbrook. Betsy was not delivered from that concentration camp. Indeed, she died there. And she's not the only believer to have succumbed to persecution and the designs of evil men. See, the point of Daniel 6 and the account of the lion's den is to teach us that God uses horrible events in a pagan culture to promote his glory and to bring about our salvation. The enemies of Daniel had no idea that when they were plotting against Daniel, that this would bring about the fame of Daniel's God and would fulfill prophecy by giving the Jews a place of honor in the kingdom and eventually allowing them to return to their homeland and reclaim their promised land. See, and it's this that must be our lesson from the account of Daniel. Our God saves. All the evil designs in the world, all the the struggles that Christians endure, living in a culture that is sometimes hostile, is being used right now by God to further his designs, to bring about an acknowledgement of his glory, and to bring his salvation into the world. 
God is always in control. My dear fellow Christian, are you concerned about singing the Lord's song in a strange land? Does the wider culture with its demands frighten you? Are you so concerned that, that you've lost track, that your God is the, is the most high, that his kingdom never ends, and that he is the living God? He's not just God in Jerusalem. He's God over Babylon. And it's right in Babylon that God delivers and rescues and performs signs for the advancement of his kingdom and the salvation of his elect. And that's the lesson that we've got to take from this book. We need to stop fearing the dominant culture, and rather, we need to begin to anticipate that God's great works will be felt and experienced in Babylon in which we live. Dare to be a Daniel. Dare to believe that your God is the most high God. Become bold in your faith. Refuse to compromise your faith. Do not fear the king's edict or the laws that might have been drafted against you, and do not fear the jeers of others. I end with Isaiah chapter 52, verse 10. The Lord has bared his holy arm before the eyes of all the nations, and all the ends of the earth shall see the salvation of our God. John, as I've listened to your series uh, this last couple of weeks, I come away with that sense that, you know, we're not supposed to be standoffish in our culture. In fact, what God is calling us to do is to live like people of God in our culture. I wonder, John, would you pray for us to do just that? Yeah, I'd be delighted to, Ben. Heavenly Father, I pray for God's people throughout this land. Thank you for having placed us in this land in the time in which we live. This was your calling on our life. And I plead with you, O Lord God, that if we have sinned or compromised our faith, that you would give us the grace of genuinely confessing our sins and humbling ourselves before your throne. May we be found faithful, O Lord God. May we be faithful to the point of death so that we would receive the crown of life. Back to the Bible Canada, leading you closer in your walk with Jesus every day. Your gracious gifts matter more than you might imagine. You need to know that all of the ministries of Back to the Bible Canada are dependent upon the generous gifts of our listeners and partners in ministry. As a result of your generosity, Back to the Bible Canada has expanded its impact across Canada and beyond. It reaches out to provide sound expositional teaching on radio stations like this one, online, through podcast, audio mail, and mobile applications. It distributes thousands of print ministry publications, emails, and we make all of these resources available at no cost to those who are thirsting to know Jesus better and to walk with Him closer every day. So your gifts matter, and your support is making an incredible difference. One other way we make trustworthy Bible teaching available is by offering monthly ministry resources free for the asking. And this month, we want to offer our listeners Dr. Newfeld's new series airing next week called From Creation to Creation, A Study in the Book of Revelation. So to continue to support the ministry or perhaps make a first-time gift, call us at 1-800-663-2425 or visit us online at backtothebible.ca or to ask for your free copy of From Creation to Creation. Again, call us at 1-800-663-2425 
or email your request at info at backtothebible.ca.